Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings, America's number one sportsbook app. Joined by John Schuster, Brad Alice, Ben White. I am merely Mike Luke. All right, we've got a lot to get to this show. Um, first, um, this was a game that uh, I thought was going to be over fairly quickly. It certainly looked like it. And, um, you know, Arizona had a lapse there, John Schuster, where they pretty much broke down um, and looked out of sorts. And uh, Tommy Lloyd pulled a Lute Olson and did not call a timeout during that. Uh, during yeah, that, that, that was definitely an interesting sequence that I think will get a lot of uh, discussion. Uh, Arizona being able to uh, ultimately weather it. It looked like the Wildcats decided to get on the bus at the half. Uh, uh, so many weapons in the first 20 minutes all but completely disarmed in the last 20. ASU made an, a remarkably gallant effort, and you hope that this is one of those matchups where rightfully there's going to be a fair amount of concern, but on the other hand, uh, maybe you know Arizona can learn some lessons out of this and uh, grow as a result. But uh, you know, a lot, I, I imagine that uh, Bobby Hurley probably lost a lung at the half with whatever he was tearing ASU into. Because whatever it was, they went pedal to the metal for about as long as they could, about eight to ten minutes, got back into the game, disrupted Arizona, uh, played slappy defense, which is what they do, and uh, made it a game. And then decided from their perspective, you know, it's a really good idea. Let's do a lot of what we haven't been able to do all day and fall in love with three-pointers. ASU, three of 27 on the day. So Arizona defensively did a nice job of forcing their love affair into that shot, but uh, had just enough on the inside in a game that they needed to win ugly in the last 20 minutes. And again, hopefully it's, uh, you know, while, while there is obviously, I think, a fair amount of understandable room for concern, hopefully this is one of those matchups where it's actually a learning experience as Arizona moves ahead. Brad? Brad, you're muted. Sorry, I had dogs barking. Uh, you know, Arizona was really good in the first half and was terrible for eight minutes in the second half and mediocre the rest. They were held to, what, 24 points in the second half. Uh, a lot of the players were who were good in the first half were no-shows. That, what, four- to six-minute sequence was about as bad of Arizona basketball as I can remember. I mean, I think you have to go back to maybe Buffalo in the NCAA tournament or maybe even further back Louisville in the NCAA tournament, which was a 40-point loss. Um, oh, the sweet 16 game. Yeah. But credit Arizona. They, they, you know, they never played well in the second half, 
but they played good enough. And, and, and once ASU couldn't force those sloppy turnovers, they just didn't have enough on the offensive end to come all the way back. And you always felt Arizona always felt like they were one big bucket away from blowing the game back open and just couldn't get it, uh, which is a concern, but they kept them at arm's length. And that that's something they've been able to do. They blow these big leads, but they never let the other team take that four point lead, take that six point lead. Uh, but it's something they definitely have to work on. They have to work on that focus for 40 minutes. Ben, what did you see? What did you gain from your vantage point in the sunny hills of California? Not so sunny today. There's a flash flood flood warning, actually. But um, I thought Arizona didn't play very particularly well, especially in the second half. Um, I thought a team like ASU was obviously going to try to make some sort of adjustment in the second half, just because if they didn't, it was going to be a 20, 30 point loss for them. I thought from a defensive standpoint, they kind of threw the kitchen sink at Arizona, right? Especially those first five to 10 minutes, they did a good job of forcing some turnovers. ASU um, built a cushion to get close to Arizona. And it's just ironic that all of that was through dunking the basketball. I think seven out of their seven first shots in that first five minutes were dunks. So um, did a really good job of getting in the passing lanes, disrupting what Arizona was trying to do offensively. Um, but at the same time, you knew, right, that ASU wasn't going to be able to consistently do that in the second half. And while Arizona didn't play well, they do have the size advantage with Balo and Tubelos, despite some of the foul trouble that they had throughout the most of the second half there. But um, definitely a learning experience, not a great win you should feel, uh, you, not a win you should feel great about if you're an Arizona fan. And uh, again, a lot of unanswered questions that we've been talking about all season when it comes to this team and maybe not being able to respond when they need to, taking away games, bearing leads. They, they haven't really been able to do a lot of that. So definitely a lot of questions we got to get answered here. I think what also worried me a little bit about this, though, is that you saw that Arizona doesn't have, and again, this is Arizona is still a, a very, very good team. Don't get me wrong. They're clearly a top five, 10 team in the nation. So we're just nitpicking here. But I will say that uh, – the lack of ball handling does concern me to a certain degree. Um, Arizona doesn't really have that guy that you got to do a lot of pass aheads when you're getting trapped. You have to do a lot of that as opposed to a guy that can just kind of jet through and get you into your sets. I thought that kind of reared its head there a little bit, John Schuster. It did uh, certainly in that string where ASU picked up tempo significantly. And it's, it's good to see in these situations what Arizona's going to be up against at some point or a series of points in the tournament. Uh, and because ASU threw, as Ben noted, threw everything at them and picked up the an intensity that they were incapable of maintaining for 20 minutes. Now, you know, what happens when, you know, some of the other teams that Arizona's probably going to get in its uh, eventual bracket are able to do that. Arizona's got to be a lot more effective and pass with a lot more uh, – they can't be lazy about it. And and it was one of those situations where ASU was able to dictate the physicality in this game, especially on the perimeter. And then Arizona kind of wilted for a while. Right. And then it, it started to get away from them a little bit, and they, they were able to maintain. And one of the good things about this team is that they have an inside game, and eventually you can go to those guys and hopefully – talked about this a fair amount of times – from an Arizona perspective, hopefully you can get to the line. Hopefully you can get a bucket. Hopefully you can stem a rally that the other team can uh, deal with because you've got something that most other most opposition doesn't have, two seven-footers that you can go to at any point in a 40-minute stretch. However, 
I thought this was the first game of the year where Arizona missed a Matherin. A guy yes. who just says, yes. oh, okay, now, right now, there's a problem. Somebody needs a bucket on the perimeter because they they try to do this with Tabellus, but still to some degree, you know, the guard has to work it to get in there. Uh, this was... This was that area, and obviously this eventually was going to happen. You hope it doesn't happen a lot. And again, Arizona still got a W here. But it felt to me like like there were points on the perimeter where somebody on this team needed to say, screw the rest of this. I've got the ball. Going to take care of all this crap. We're going to level this out a little bit. And uh, just try. we're going to get a bucket. And I'm the guy who's going to get it done. And Matherin was that type of player who could do that for Arizona, obviously. And again, you knew going in that this was, you can't replace that. It's not, you know, it's just the way that Arizona's built and you try to figure out other ways to work around it. Again, in the end, Arizona was able to do that. But I thought this was a game where, you know, we've kind of, We've, we've we've liked what we've seen from an Arizona team that averages 90 points a game, and you sort of uh, fall into this uh, false sense of everything's just fine. But every now and again, maybe you need to be reminded that you don't have that guy on the roster, so somebody's got to figure it out. All right, real quick, Brad, and then we're going to get to you, and we're going to get to Ben. Here's my DraftKings pick of the week right here coming up. I like – who do I like here? My DraftKings pick of the week, I'm going to go with Ohio State to beat Georgia today. Now, again, you might say to yourself, Mike Luke, you're an idiot. You could be correct. And if you think I'm an idiot, go against what I'm saying. But that's my DraftKings pick of the week right there. Again, check out the show notes and the link in the description. 21 and up, Arizona only. If you got a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. They'll get you all taken care of. But again, that's my DraftKings pick of the week. Um, Ohio State over Georgia and OGs. Now, you might look at uh, Brad Ellis. You might say, Brad, Brad has some sleeping problems. This is where OGs comes into play right here. OGs can help William get to sleep, or if William just wants to have, you know, a little bit of an elevated uh, type of experience, check out OGs at all of your local dispensaries. Again, 21 and up. Got to be 21 and up. Check out the show notes and the link in the description. All right, William. What did you? Uh, what did you? Just piggybacking on what Schuster said. What did you think right there about what, what you know? What Schuster said. You know, I think from a scoring standpoint, he's absolutely right. They don't have that one guy, and as good as uh, Tabellus can be, he missed a lot of easy shots today early. Uh, at one point, he had all four of Arizona's misses. I want to say though, I think from a defensive standpoint and aggressiveness standpoint. Henderson was huge in the second half. He was. He was. We're going to get to said, but he was huge. Uh, I thought his ability. Now, he didn't seem to want to shoot a whole lot, but he knocked down a couple shots. But he had rebounds. He kept balls alive. He got out on shooters. Um, And I think without him, that is a very different second half. He kind of came in and settled things down and gave Arizona a spark of energy. They looked a little listless coming out of the, uh, the locker room. So I think he was big. But. Unfortunately, if we're talking on the wing, they just don't have that guy. Right. Um, I think of the guys they have, Ramey may be most built to be a guy who can get his own shot um, to, to get Arizona some scoring. But I don't remember him scoring after about the 10-minute mark in the first half. Creesa uh, couldn't create his own shot enough. Uh, Larson had another kind of off night. So I think, yeah, absolutely. Y- you knew they'd miss Matherin just because of how good Matherin is. But he, again, is also that type of player who can create his own shots, who can, whether it's inside, outside, driving, uh, catch and shoot, that, that can make a lot of things happen. And they just don't have that. Again, 
He's also made rookie of the year in the NBA too. Right. Um, so, you know, they're hard to replace, but they don't have anyone even remotely like him right now. Ben, what, what really sticks out to me too is the, uh, this still this team, even without these guys, they still have a real margin for error because that ASU team doesn't stink by any means. And they had Arizona on the ropes, but Arizona also was able to make plays. They went inside again that, you know, able to make able to make some plays. Um, and you got you get timely contributions a lot of times from guys you wouldn't expect, like I said, Henderson. Um, you know, players like that. But, you know, just watching that, what did you think of, you know, just what we were seeing out there? And kind of that margin for error argument that Arizona has a little bit of, but they don't have that Ben Mather in this year. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the thing that a lot of us are going to be talking about throughout the rest of the season and throughout the tournament. As you watch this team, you watch them put up 90, 95 points a game, but we have to understand that much of that is predicated when you have two seven-footers who are as skilled and gifted as uh, Balo and Tabellis up there. And as we saw today, what happens when teams like ASU, teams that have nothing to lose, and furthermore, better teams, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit here, what happens when those teams put together that five, 10-minute stretch where they just go all in, create havoc in the front court for Arizona? And at that point, you have to get the ball outside. And to Brad's point exactly, where is Ben Matherin? Where is that wing player who can get it done on both ends and more importantly, make that clutch shot? I think Tommy Lloyd has to spend the next few months trying to figure out who that is um, because as time goes on, we're going to be playing obviously in the Pac-12. You come to the Pac-12 tournament where you're playing you know, back-to-back games, teams like UCLA that can shoot the ball really well. And as you progress into the tournament, you've got to get that figured out. And I think really the only way to keep doing that is getting these guys off the bench involved early. I mean, that's something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, even against uh, the Morgan States of the Worlds and some of these other teams that they played, is why is Tommy Lloyd getting a lot of these guys involved the way he has? It's, it's because we're trying to groom and find that guy in these types of situations because Creasa didn't do anything in the second half. I think his first points were a minute 30 left or so at the free throw line. So you've got to figure out who that guy is. It's all well and good to score 90 to 95 points a game. But at the same time, you're going to run into some challenges in the front court. And who is going to be that guy? We don't have that answer yet. And we need to figure out who that is. This is one. This is, I think one of those really curious matchups though, in that in the first 20 minutes, all of those questions, Arizona answered. They, (laughs) they, 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 remember the cat scored 45 in the first half, right? It was easy 45 too. And that, and that was part of the problem. They, they got any look they wanted to at any spot on the floor, and they made them. In the second half, once ASU did a phenomenal job picking up tempo for that first four minutes, and then which carried into about eight minutes, what you saw from Arizona after that from the perimeter is that I think that initial push by the Sun Devils got Arizona off its rhythm. And so even though Arizona got better looks in the final 12 minutes of the second half from the perimeter, they weren't able to make them. Uh, so I, I don't think it was a matter of regressing to the mean. I think ASU did a nice job when it was able to, to get Arizona in a position where it was uncomfortable. And then once they were uncomfortable, even though ASU was clearly out of gas and you could see it on the offensive end, right. uh, they, they expended everything they could to try to get back into that game. Uh, and, and that's when Arizona had to go into the inside to make enough shots. But when Arizona had a look from the perimeter in the second half, everything was long. Now, usually from a fatigue standpoint, you say that, well, you, you hit the front of the rim, but I, it, feel like, it felt to me like Arizona was overcompensating 
because ASU had gotten them out of whatever rhythm they were working well in the first half and it got them a quarter step off or something. They felt like they needed to rush the shot. And a lot of those hit the back of the rebound or back of the rim rather and um, missed fairly poorly. Uh, Arizona, I think as much as anything, benefited from what they were able to do on the defensive end, but really ASU making some really questionable decisions. One of the things I think you can see here, however, though, uh, you know, is that, and, and you hear this a lot, uh, we've talked about this over the years, this is something that Lute Olson brought up a lot, is that you want ASU to be pretty good to make it to, to make this a difficult road trip. Because you know, generally speaking, Arizona's one of the top teams in the conference, and it's going to be tough to win in McHale. Right, right. It gets even more difficult for the UCLA's and the USC's and so forth, who have to come through this road trip, and ASU's good. Right. And the thing that ASU kind does... Kind of soften them up a little bit. Kind of. And I think the thing that ASU does that is really interesting and 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 definitely a problem, their, their athleticism is very impressive. They have good length. They play hard. They play hard. They're woefully inconsistent on the offensive end. Well, I'm going to say that's also why I think we're we're lucky, though, that you have we have a Tommy Lloyd because the thing with Hurley that is always going to be their Achilles heel, I think, is that there just isn't much structure to what they do, especially early on in the game. It just felt like like what are you trying to do offensively? And again, they got back in the game, but I thought they got back in the game via hustle via you know um turning and Arizona forcing, yeah. over not necessarily and then getting easy buck and, and making a dunk even ASU can make a dunk right yeah Brad doesn't that kind of limit what ASU can do under Hurley because again it still feels like it's kind of a free-for-all even when they play hard yeah because at the end of the day and we've seen this all throughout the Hurley era they either have had to have one ball dominant guard do the bulk of their scoring uh the Remy Martins of the world um, or yeah, that kind of defense to offense and, and they just haven't been good enough at it. So at the end of the day, that's what, you know, keeps them as a fringe tournament type team from an, you know, an upper division type team. Um, there is a lack of, I think, structure. I think there is, you know, I mean, people were making fun of it, but Hurley's big coaching move after the San Francisco game was apparently showing Cinderella man, <laughs> Now, obviously, that's not all he did, but um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, in many ways, they, you know, old ASU, and I don't know if they have that guy this year, is the opposite of what Arizona Arizona's a very balanced, structured offense um, that can beat you a bunch of different ways, but when it gets into that nitty-gritty, they may not have that one guy who can take over, whereas ASU typically has always had one guy take over, and you hope they can do enough on the defensive end to win games. I don't think this year's team has that. Again, they're good, but I think we're going to see, like we see a lot of times, once they get in the conference play, they're going to be more of a 500 conference team, and they'll be somewhere on, on that tournament bubble. And, and again, having not having that guy um, or that structure is going to hurt them. This thought, though, briefly, and I know you've got some other things uh, going on, is that if ASU is good enough to get into the NCAA tournament, I would hate to see them across my bracket. Not because I think I'm not good enough to beat them in that first game, but because of how much they're going to wear me out as I head into another game two days later. That's a, you're, they are, I feel like they're the team that you're, they're one of those teams that is, 
you're going to be forced to expend a lot of energy against uh, to, to get rid of. So uh, if they're good enough to get into the tournament, that's a matchup that I'd look at and say, okay, that team across from them is uh, really going to have a difficult time perhaps in that game that follows. All right. Well, re- always can co- co- uh, count on kind compliments from my good friend, Rudy Bastios. Mike is an idiot right there. I'll take that. Um, with uh, Speaking of which, well, when it comes to Arizona, when I'll get Ben White back in here. Um, Umar Ballo, Azulis Tabellis, those are obviously the guys. But I think you saw a little bit maybe of the, the problem when your two best players are your interior guys is that it's difficult to be able to get them the ball. But even at the end, they were able to exert themselves there in a fashion that ASU just wasn't able to handle. Yeah, I think I think you felt like when uh, Ballo got that dunk with what, you know, five, six minutes left in the game, Arizona was able to build a, a nine-point lead that was kind of the – snapshot of what these teams look like from a matchup standpoint, right? I mean, despite all the foul trouble, Arizona was able to get their bigs going consistently the last few minutes of that game. And it came to a point where you look at somebody like, especially Tubelis going up against a 6'6 guy that ASU has, um, somebody like Balo finally finding his way at the rim in the second half. And that's where Arizona bails themselves out in these situations. But again, like we keep talking about, I mean, you watch some of these other teams in college basketball that – especially or a lot more efficient offensively than, than somebody like ASU, right? Is when they create these types of situations, there's going to be a lot more of leeway and room that Arizona is going to have to recover from because these teams can go up, you know, 10 to 15, 20 points on you in a matter of five to 10 minutes. If Arizona plays as sloppy as they did in the beginning of this second half, and it's a matter of how do they respond? And that's something that we have to find out um, in the second half. Brad, I was curious. You made a couple of good points about the um, just officiating and a couple and good points. Well, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Points. Let's not limit the horizons here, Brad. Or ben. Oh, no, I'm just glad someone thinks I made a couple good points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was curious your thoughts on kind of some of the officiating, and there was just it felt like there were some miscommunications throughout the broadcast with you know the play by play announcers not being there. It was it was kind of messy at times, and you were one of the few people that pointed that out. Yeah, I mean, there were several times where. I, if you had the announcers there. And I think there are times where other than atmosphere, you know, for football, it doesn't matter as much, I think, because you're so far away from the, the field. But there were times where Jacobson didn't realize they were shooting a technical foul. Neither guy did. Or the refs were huddled up after trying to decide if, uh, if a, I think a foul was a flagrant or not with ASU at the line. And, of course, during the technical where – you know, we've heard it. We've seen even the Pac-12 broadcast, as bad as they are. We can hear on, on Muehlbach's mic uh, the ref talking to him. Hey, that's going to be a flagrant one because he went to the head. Or, yeah. And, they, they you know, they didn't know. Um, so I think especially it's one thing, again, if it's an 11 o'clock Eastern time football game at Arizona Stadium, maybe not having the, the thing there. I still think it's bad. Don't get me wrong. But this is your – your 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 midday main game on the west coast and you can't you know you can't again maybe with the the airlines the way they are you can't fly a guy in and out you don't even have to put him up for the hotel room you get them there at 10 a.m and you get them out at, at at four um but i thought it severely hurt the broadcast because there were several unusual plays or they just didn't notice. I mean, I think at one point you know Jacobson said something effective well here's the first appearance of the curtain of distraction today. No, it's the first appearance because your cameraman finally filmed it. <laughs> right, exactly. It's been going on all day. You just chose your, you know, your producer or director. 
even, and I don't know how the broadcast works, but I'm shocked they don't have, even if it's just the local, you know, weekend guy for the Fox affiliate up in Phoenix being a sideline reporter who just sits there and, 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 and relays info. Hey guys, this is, you know, Mike Jones from, uh, turns out it is going to be a flagrant one on to Bellis because he went to the head or whatever it is, you know, um, or even get one of the Cronkite kids. I mean, they might not be able to read our friend Rudy Steele's to go in there and possibly do it. Yeah. So I'm just, yeah, I thought it really affected the broadcast today um, because there have been times I haven't noticed when they haven't been at the arena, but today it was pretty apparent they weren't there. Anthony Humbert, I know you can't comment, but maybe, or actually you can comment. You said the main problem I thought was Arizona gets disinterested too quick, too easy, too quick. You can't turn that stuff off and on. My question to you is this, what does it mean to you to back the A? And we'll get back to that one there in just a minute, right? But um, Cedric Henderson, I want to talk about Ced. I believe that Ced uh, Henderson, he needs to play a little bit. I, I like when Cedric Henderson is in the game. I think he's an opportunistic scorer. I like what he brings defensively. I also like uh, what he's able to do from a rebounding, uh, just athleticism perspective. He's unique in that regard there, guys. Who wants to take He that? gives that Arizona right. size on the wing. Um, right. He's really, you know, I know Adamo Ball does as well, but he's just n- either not quite ready for primetime or Tommy just doesn't trust him. Right. Um, at the end of the day, I think Henderson's two or three inches taller than Pella Larson. He's a little bit more athletic than Pella Larson. Um, and frankly, I think he's just more consistent. I think Pella has higher highs, but he also has lower lows. Um, so you know what you're going to get out of Henderson. And to me, again, I thought he was for a stretch there, Arizona's best player in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the intangible things I'll give you. There's a great example. There was a play where he kept a shot alive, but then he ended up missing the three. But then on the other end, he, he got the turnover uh, later in the game. Larson had a chance really to, to get a huge rebound had it in his hands, just couldn't quite grab it. I don't blame Larson. There was actually the ASU guy um, doing a really good job, but that's just kind of the intangible right there. You know, Henderson today at least was really good getting his hands on loose balls, tipping balls, rebounding balls, uh, getting out on shooters because, again, he's just a little bit bigger, a little, I think a little bit faster, a little bit more athletic. What do you think about that, Ben? Yeah, I, I would back all of that. I would back the A as well. See what I did there, Mike? <laughs> I do like that. No, everybody's back. Everybody's back in the A. Now, with, um, with, with, with Umar Ballo, with the Julius Tabellis, um, I think you also saw too why, and this is a good thing for Arizona fans, I think you saw their limitations, though, as to why I think that they're, they're not really NBA players in my book. They're more like a very high level, you know, overseas guys because they do struggle, you know, with length and athleticism by the basket, but at the college level, I'm totally fine with that. So I get a lot of people that, you know, that'll ask me, you say, well, you know, what kind of pro prospects are uh, uh, Tabellus and Ballo? I, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I don't know that they are NBA prospects per se. I mean, they're certainly on the radar, but that's a good thing for Arizona fans though, too. I mean, if you can get these guys back, I mean, yeah, sign me up. Well, you're also in a position, I think, uh, more in the here and now where they provide, and Vasar does as well, and and maybe we can get to Vasar here in a moment, mm-hmm. uh, that, that Arizona has an, a, an ability that a lot of teams at the college level don't. 
they can roll out two seven-footers pretty much at any time over the course of 40 minutes. And that becomes a difficult mismatch for the opposition. And it is Arizona's, at this point, even though we're not into the Pac-12, well, we're just beginning the Pac-12 season and, uh, you know, uh, moving on from there and the rest of it, it's pretty clear that that's Arizona's strength. And it's an advantage strength as well because a lot of other teams don't have it. Does Arizona have Kansas wings? No. Does Arizona have UConn's explosiveness on the perimeter? No. Does Arizona have Houston's uh, tenacity on the glass? Probably not. But none of those teams have what Arizona has on the inside either, and that's a big deal. Tabellus has skills underneath. Uh, Ballo, uh, who uh, I think, even though his numbers were okay, I think sort of had an off day. Uh, but generally speaking, those two complement each other. And Vesar is moving up into the pecking order where he plays well with both of them as well. And what I think you're going to see, just a guess here, is that in the first third of the season, Ballas played twice as many minutes as he did last year, about 28 minutes versus the 14 last season. I'm not sure he's going to ma- be able to maintain that. And I kind of expect Ballo to play about 22 minutes a game through many of these matchups as Arizona prepares for the tournament. So I think you're going to see more Vesar out there. Once they get to the tournament or close to the respective tournaments, I think Ballo is going to play 28 to 30 again. But my guess is that there's going to be a point here, kind of a dog days of the season aspect, where maybe his minutes are going to be trimmed back a little bit. And the fact that Vesar is doing what he's doing and Lloyd feels comfortable enough to put him into the game, I think is very helpful. Um, Arizona having three guys who are seven foot and skilled is some, is the envy of a lot of teams, and it, it won today's game too. And it's going to win most of the games that Arizona prevails in this season. All right, we're going to get to buy the numbers here in a second, but got to pay the bills first. Mountain Mike's Pizza. I can vouch that John Schuster has come onto the show with a Mountain Mike's Pizza uh, soda, uh, soda, and I believe William Brad Alice also came with a Mountain Mike's as well. Ben is not in Tucson, so Ben can't, but if Ben was, he would. So, Mountain Mike's Pizza, uh, check it out. Oracle and Wetmore, great stuff. You go in there, there's like 9,000 big screen TVs. It's very much of a sports, it's very much of a sports type place right there, sports environment. Check it out, Mountain Mike's Pizza. And tap and bottle. Just getting back from the tap and bottle watch party. As always, thank everybody for coming out there. You're a Matt. You are a Matt tailgate. Nate, you guys are the best. You guys are the ones that make it. Um, you can get four peaks there as well. We're going to get to four peaks here in a little bit, but yes, the four, but again, big, a uh, big shout out to mountain mics and tap and bottle. You guys are the ones that make this one go. And Luis Molino coming in right here. Like Mariano Rivera does. Back the A, baby. We like that one right there. Um, all right. So now looking ahead then for Arizona, there's not going to be a lot of teams in this conference that are going to test Arizona. John Schuster, I thought, put it very well the other day when we were talking. And he says, I watched Colorado and Stanford yesterday. Those teams suck. That and- was pretty much exactly what I said. And and first off, for the folks out there who think, yeah, I, I, I probably need to enhance the uh, – the social skill set a little bit if uh, my answer to uh, evening activities is watching Stanford in Colorado. Ooh. Oh, right. boy. But it says a lot about, and I guess all conferences are that way. But uh, yeah, there, it looks like there could be a fair amount of dogs on the schedule where Arizona should be able to take care of business. 
Yes, I would I would imagine so. There's only a few teams that are, I think are going to be able to hang with Arizona right here. And I think you've got to be quick and I think you've got to be athletic. And uh, coincidentally, ASU is one of those teams. Um, I think it'll be a different uh, situation in McHale. But Brad, I think it, it, it takes a unique team to beat Arizona here, at least in the Pac-12. Yeah, you know, I think you have to be able to have something that can counter Arizona's size. And even if you are going to, again, Arizona put up good numbers from the bigs, but I think we all know, you know, Tabellus missed some he doesn't normally miss. Uh, Balo really couldn't get uh, his shot off. I mean, what do you have, six, seven attempts, and granted he got to the line a bunch. Right. Um, so you have to be able to have something. And today it was ASU's defense for about eight minutes, uh, that transition, you know, defense. Uh, putting the press on, you know, for, for UCLA, UCLA does have some scores, you know, USC has some athleticism. Um, but if you don't have something you do really well uh, and you're just kind of average to below average across the board, Arizona's going to beat you. Um, and that's what good teams do. Conversely, you know, if and when Arizona loses in the NCAA tournament, it's because a team's going to be able to do something better than Arizona's bigs are. Uh, whether that's, you know, you know, she mentioned a couple good teams in the NCAA, whether that's wing scoring or having that one guy, a Matherin type. Um, but that's what makes college basketball so much fun is it's it's always those matchups. You know, it's it's Houston's tenacity. It's, you know, whether, you know, someone's three-point shooting, someone's scheming. Um, but the fact of the matter is, barring Arizona just playing really poorly, there's looks like there's what three teams that can really play with Arizona in the back 12. Well, see, that's where I'm going with this is that Arizona and Ben, I want to get you in here as well. Um, Arizona right now is just by this, just by the strength of who they are in the conference, Arizona is not going to lose many games this year. Arizona is going to be strictly in contention for a one or a two seed out West because nobody in this conference is really going to be able to test them or not many teams. How about that? No, I, I think that's, that's spot on. Um, if you're a team and you're playing Arizona, especially in the Pac-12 this year, not only do you have to be really good at one thing, you need a lot of bad things to happen and a lot of things to go wrong for Arizona. Um, ASU had that for a few minutes stretch today. Maybe we see that in one of these games coming up. But again, I mean, I think you have to look at it from a positive standpoint when it comes to some of these hurdles that maybe Arizona has had against ASU or some of these other teams, whether it's the slower starts, whether it's kind of turning it on or off when they build a big lead is a lot of times you don't really see some of these deficiencies as a college basketball team. If you have good players, if you're ranked high, you don't always see a lot of these deficiencies until the tournament. And by the time the tournament comes around, it's too late. So in a strange way, it's almost good that we're getting glimpses at this now and we can address these things moving forward and really focus on them prior to the tournament coming up because um, there's going to be stretches, right, where teams have nothing to lose. They're going to throw everything they can at Arizona, and we're going to be talking about these same things, right? Who is that guy on the wing who can take over for Arizona? Defensively, can Arizona really lock down for 40 minutes? And then thirdly, what does their offense look like kind of when those two bigs get into foul trouble? But Again, it works in Arizona's favor, too, because there's no other team in college basketball, like Schuster said, that has the size and and has the skill. Um, and back to the NBA thing, right? I think when you look at Lloyd's background and you look at what Gonzaga did, and definitely the last few years especially, we have had those guys come into Gonzaga where you're like, okay, this is going to be a lottery pick. This is going to be an NBA guy. But gradually, I mean, you look at the sample over the last 20, 25 years, and I think that's what they're trying to bring to Arizona 
you're going to see that, you know, in year two, year three. And while Arizona may not have that guy right now that is NBA ready, I have a hard time believing, especially with the way these bigs play, if they continue to play at that level with those skills and that size, that size like that and skill like that doesn't have a place in the NBA eventually. I'm not saying right now, but time will tell for those guys uh, on the Arizona side. All right, a couple points right here. And I know that John Schuster, I can always tell when John Schuster is coming up with an ingenious thing to say. But I mean, it's not all, it's always an ingenious thing, but there's levels to the genius. So let's, but a couple things. Ben, I got exciting news to tell everybody out here in a second. But first, have I told you about the Four Peaks? The Four Peaks Brewery or the Four Peaks Arizona Wildcat? That's how far it's taken off. People don't even know who we're talking about, whether it's the Four Peaks Brewery or the Four Peaks. Me, I have no idea. Yeah, you got to clear that. All right. Up. But all right, you might be saying to yourself, and I will tell you. Four Peaks is the official brew of PHNX. You can go down to the Tempe location right there, and you can get Four Peaks. It's fantastic. They've got watch parties down there. I would recommend going there to root against ASU, but if you're a U of A fan, they have Four Peaks at the Tap and Bottle Watch Parties, which all three of the people on here, including myself, have been to. So check it out, Four Peaks. Now, I want to tell you something else. We have exciting news on the back the A movement here. And by the way, my my mother hates that term, the back the A movement. She wants a different uh, – so, but we're not changing it. Um, by the way, Dirty Dancer, that is a mean thing. The Four Peaks will be the only thing Dylan Anderson is remembered for. Dylan Anderson is going to be good. I'm vouching for Dylan Anderson right now here. But guess who the latest member of the back the A movement is? Uh, Josh well, Miller or Kyle Dodd? I'm not sure. Josh Miller. Well, Kyle Dodd is Kyle Dodd is going to be part of it. Josh Miller, ex U of A great, the best punter in U of A history. I came across this today on Twitter that he has changed his background to back the A. That is big stuff right here. And Ben, Josh Miller. Well, let me just. I'll have the uh, I'll have the OGs here explain this. Who is Josh Miller exactly? John Schuster or Brad Alice? I'll let Brad Alice take that one, but it really screwed up my guess of Joe Pesci. So go ahead, Brad. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's a, I believe, Super Bowl champion punter, uh, Dick Tomey era punter. My son just fell out of his gaming chair. Uh, at the, he's stunned that Josh Miller is backing the A. Uh, he's also a member of the Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, so Josh Miller. Uh, Wait, your son? Uh, no, no. Wow, no, it's gonna save Miller. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Wait, so, no, Josh. Yeah. Right. So but, Josh Miller was a punter, Tommy era. So you know he got a lot of kicks in. He got a lot. You preserve yes. the right to punt. You preserve the right to punt. Congratulations! Right. What an addition. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to say, so Josh Miller, if you're out there watching, we are absolutely ecstatic that you have joined us again. There's all kinds of room for the back, the a movement right there. Take that as what you will mom. All right. Now a lot of people are asking about the technical right here. What did you guys think about the technical? I was watching it obviously in an establishment. So I didn't maybe get some of the nuances that all three of you were able to uh, um, see. I thought it was a lousy call from a technical standpoint. If you wanted to call it from a common foul, if you saw the guy uh, reacting as opposed to some of ASU's initial uh, uh, things going on in there, fine. But it was a it was a slight push to the chest. It's good that you break that up and try to negate what's going on. But the whole go to the monitor thing, and then we're going to call a technical as a result. That was a potentially huge play uh, because if I. Uh, it it was uh, I think it was six at the time, 
And instead of Arizona having the ball up six uh, with a chance to milk some clock and maybe get a bucket, ASU's got uh, the opportunity. Maybe it was eight and then the free throws made it six, but ASU had possession. Uh, but and and I think on the side, the short version is I don't think that it was a it was a good call. So those are very difficult games to officiate. And sometimes you let some things go and sometimes some other things get away. And, you know, but but, you know, in a game that was that physical, I don't think it was something that was uh, worthy. I don't think it was T worthy at all. If you wanted to argue it was a common foul and you give possession to ASU, okay. But to put them for a line, uh, put them to the line, give them an opportunity to score and then get an extra possession, I I, I wasn't on board with that whatsoever. Do you agree the with – The ASU player had his hands up around uh, yeah. Tabellis' shoulders and what Tabellis should have done is swatted the hand away like that. But he did get – Like, like how? How how do you want him to do it? Like that. Okay. All right, you know, gotcha. wax on, wax off, uh, paint right. the fence. Um, but he did give him a shove. So I understand why they called it. Do I think it was weak? Yeah. Um, I think they should have stepped between the two guys. Um, I actually think you probably could have called the ASU player for, for a foul as well because, again, he was touching Tabellus uh, up high. It w- but they should have just stepped between the guys, told him to calm down. Um, so, yeah, I thought, it was a, I thought it was a poor call. I, don't even th- I wouldn't even call it a common foul, but I get it. He did shove him away, but, again, when you're you got a guy's hands around your neck and face, you're you're gonna do something. Then you're you're part of the younger crowd right here. You're younger than you're not you're not as young as uh, John Schuster, but you're younger than me. And um, let me tell you about something that's really hip with the kids in Scottsdale right now. Octane Raceway. You can go to Octane Raceway, and not only do they have you can race on tracks. They've got pool. They've got all kinds of video games, pool. You name it, they've got it. Basically everything right there. I don't. My phone just died, so I don't have the total read. But it's in Scottsdale. It's taken over the scene right there. It's cool with the kids. Uh, the millennials are digging it as well. The boomers like it. And so again, check it out. Octane Raceway in Scottsdale. Great place to go with your family. Great place to go on a date. You name it, they've got it. All right, so Ben White. Did John you- Schuster falls in the millennial category, right? <laughs> John Schuster is squarely in the millennial category. What I thought. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But the 1900s yes. millennials. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. Well, I am a millennial, so I, I can about the 900s. That's yeah, about right. Yeah. Right. I can. I can invite Brad. I can invite anybody I want into millennialhood if I want. All right. Now. Yeah. Uh, I'm from Generation Stonehenge. Okay. Yeah. Fair, fair. Stonehenge. All right. So, going. Was there anything about this game in particular that you we found out about Arizona that we didn't know before? Uh, what do you think, there, Ben White? Ben One White. By the way, um, Ben White coming to you live from his grandmother's side room. Go ahead. That, that's exactly right. Um, big picture wise, not really. Um, I, I thought from a bench standpoint, it was nice to see you know Henderson and Vasar make some progress, but. I think a lot of the things that we talked about are, are reoccurring issues, right? Um, I thought a- ASU did a heck of a job in the first five minutes, and Arizona was definitely rattled. And we've seen parts of the season where Arizona faces a team that, you know, maybe they run into some challenges on the offensive side just because teams are throwing everything at them. Maybe they get um, cold from three, but a lot of that is just made up with those two guys inside. So big picture wise, I think Arizona has to to realize that their bench is going to be key in March and getting some of these guys developed. And then once you get those guys developed and kind of figure out some of these 
questions that you have uh, to answer, right? When it comes to who's going to make the big outside shot, maybe who's going to be consistently reliable when there's foul trouble and some of these other things. But um, that's really what Arizona has to figure out. I think we've known this for quite a while and um, just be fortunate that ASU is just a mess offensively and they couldn't really extend that lead and, and build off of that sequence that they, you know, put together in the second half. So nothing big picture for me, but just to see the bench gradually improve and you've got to really address these things now um, come tournament time. Shoot. Uh, query for the board. Uh, while I pivot away from uh, that, although I can add to some of that a little bit later, if you like. Uh, ASU comes out of the locker room, goes on a big run, makes it a game. Should Arizona call a timeout? Yes. Yes. I don't get And again, how dare you doubt? Oh my God. And I have no problem with Jay Gonzalez. I like Jay Gonzalez, but Jay Gonzalez is going at me nonstop on Twitter. Who are you to question Tommy Lloyd? Who are you to do this? Who are you to do that? And it was like, listen, man, if the stay out of that. No, I'm just saying like, no, 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 it's not. No, no, no. I, 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 I didn't read the text. I'd better stay out of that. No, I'm yeah. because, because frankly, it's your job to do that. Well, then that's what I'm saying. In At the end of the day, stuff, and like I said, like I kept, criticize. And like I said, like I kept saying on Twitter, listen, I'm, there's a reason I'm watching a game and that Tommy Lloyd is coaching the game and props to my mom for having my back there. Don't mess with your son. Janet Luke will come after you. But uh, again, movement. Our job, our job was our job is to evaluate the game. And again, just because I did, I'm sure Tommy Lloyd has no qualms that Mike Luke says he should have called a timeout right there. I'm I would just I would imagine so. But yes, I would have called a timeout. And the reason I would have called a timeout was because it wasn't that they weren't playing, but it's not that they were playing bad. It's that they looked very they looked shook for lack of a better term, and you were just given possessions away time after time, I would have called a timeout right there. That's what I would have. And you know what? Like I said, Jay, it's all love, but I didn't really understand what the big uh, problem with me is saying that I would have definitely called a timeout there. What do you got, Brad? Yeah, I agree. I think they probably should have called the timeout because of the exact reason. It wasn't how they were playing. It's how they looked. They looked right. rattled. They looked shook. Um, you know, you, you could even, even if you use the timeout and don't say anything, you calm your guys down, you know, you, you let Murph or, or, or Steve Robinson go in and just give them a little pep talk, real, a pat on the back real quick, Brad, Rudy Bastille says Miller would have called a timeout. No, he wouldn't because he wouldn't have had any timeouts or he would have called three timeouts. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I know, I just don't understand that argument. I mean, that's what, that's what our job is right well, there. Well, you know? I mean, generally speaking, I mean, that, that is an aside. Yes. You're allowed to have different opinions and both of those. And, and you can make a good case for both of them. The case that how dare you criticize a coach or something like that is a terrible argument. Uh, but I mean, if you want to have a, if you want to look at it from Lloyd's perspective, my guess is this, that you want your players to work through difficult situations and you think that they're, this is a learning experience and you know, you're going to be in difficult environments. This isn't going to be the last time this happens. All right. It's on you. Get it taken care of. I get that argument. Uh, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to it all the time. I understand it. I think that's probably what he was. I don't think Lloyd was frozen in the moment because ASU's fans were crazy. I think there was a calculated reason that he ultimately didn't call a timeout. I can say, yeah, maybe you want to tone some things down a little bit here. There's also nothing wrong with that. 
Uh, and, and so I was admittedly surprised that, uh, that occurred again. I understand the long-term mm-hmm. approach to it. Uh, but in that moment, I think I probably would have used one, especially when they came out the second time. And, and, uh, and a lot of that wasn't really working in Arizona's favor either. Eventually you've got to try to quell this a little bit and, uh, you know, whether it would have been, you know, wh- whether it would have effectively negated ASU's run or not, I don't know, but generally, generally speaking, I was, uh, I was a little caught off guard that uh, a timeout wasn't used in that instance when clearly college basketball, which is most definitely a game of momentum, uh, was moving in ASU's direction. And, and this and, and this is related a little bit to a point that Anthony Humbert made a little bit earlier, where the he great about, Anthony Humbert, where he talked to Great Lee about Arizona being a team that seems to sort of just kind of rest on its laurels. And as I mentioned in the uh, beginning of the broadcast here. It felt to me like Arizona left at the half, that they were just on the bus. They were done. It was a 16-point game. Right. They were just, it was just, they, they were going to coast, you know, and they got a little bit arrogant, a little bit full of themselves, you know. I think one of our pals even made a close-the-gap joke uh, talking <laughs> about how Arizona was so that would be the, That would be Rob Lance, yes. Than, than ASU is, which has been a running joke for about three decades now about how ASU thinks it's improving but isn't when it's compared to, you know, the basketball cycle of uh, ASU but uh, or Arizona. But I think Humbert's point was interesting, and it plays to the timeout element a little bit here because Hurley, for all of the criticism that you can place on him, apparently it's okay to criticize Hurley, by the way, but it's not okay to criticize Lloyd. Right. Uh, so uh, anyway, um, with Hurley, to his credit, whatever he said at the half worked. Yeah. And ASU was outstanding over the course of about eight minutes and made that a game. They had no business being in that game. And Arizona looked like, Mike, as you noted, that they were a little bit shook. They were a little bit rattled. There was the the learning experience ultimately here long term is that other teams are going to do this against you. And you need to understand how much more aggressive you have to be and how hard you need to play over the course of 40 minutes. And Arizona was steamrolled there for a good eight minutes that gave ASU an opportunity. And what happened in this game beyond that is that once Arizona sort of, I, I'm not a big fan of the mojo term, but you know, once, they, use it, once they lost whatever that rhythm was that they had in the first half, even over the course of the last 12 minutes, they were able to make enough baskets, but they scored 23 points in the second half. Right. So what ASU did over the first eight minutes, which was all ASU could really muster, rattled Arizona for the entirety of the rest of the game. The Cats were not good offensively for the final at, at any point in the second half. They were good enough to get a W. But I think Arizona, you know, coming out of this, if they're going to learn any lesson whatsoever, is that teams are going to pick up the intensity and some of them are better at it than others. And you're going to have to be able to weather that as well. Something that we talked about to some degree when we got into the Henderson conversation. Brad, I think, was talking about how Henderson brings a little bit more sometimes intensity or physicality than Larson does. And I like Larson, but Larson felt felt to me in this game, and he's felt to me at some point during the year, and I think Larson's going to get better as the year progresses. But Larson feels to me like he's a surfer hanging out in Waikiki. He just sort of of drifts on the floor sometimes. (laughs) And you can't do that. I mean, you, right. yeah, you have to be, and there are two or three big times in a game where he seems to just kind of, 
yeah, okay, I think I'm going to, yeah, dude, I think I'm going to get the basketball. And then, oh, wow, I didn't get the basketball. Kind of went out of bounds. Hey, uh, hey, there are times. Ten. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm, and I'm not exactly sure what's going on there because he has the potential. You know, and here's a guy who we joke about who's on the floor all the time. He's the, very the Swedish athletic, pinball. The Swedish pinball. He gets to his point on the floor on a fairly regular basis, and that, but then sometimes just kind of lopes his way through moments in a game where the other team is able to take advantage of that. And that's an area where he needs to improve. And I think it showed today that that is an area of specific concern in addition to what ASU was able to do to disrupt uh, Arizona for much of the second half, even though ultimately, again, the Cats were good enough to get the W. Ben, I need Pella to be a Pell of a player out there, not just a surfer in Waikiki. What do you say? Well, some people maybe want to be surfers in Waikiki. That doesn't sound like a bad life, right? Our good no. friend Kevin Woodman is a regular surfer. Exactly. It must be nice living in Huntington. Um, no, I mean, I think with Pella, right, it's, it's, a, it's everything Schuster said, and it's a consistency thing. I mean, he can be really good. He can be really bad, right? And there are times this year where he's definitely done some things that were beyond, I think, his abilities, and he's paid for it. But at the same time, he's done some things where – he really shouldn't be doing that or he looks outmatched against the guy going up for a shot and it somehow works out. So he, he's kind of that fluky guy on Arizona's roster. I feel like looking back, Arizona always has that guy um, on the Miller side. I think and not saying they're anywhere near similar players. Right. But somebody like Gabe York, who's either really good or really bad. I think Pella's kind of that guy for this team. And while you want to see him develop, you do wonder where that can when that consistency is going to come. So I think if you're Arizona, you know, you worry about physicality, right? I mean, we saw this last year against Houston. Granted, there were some injuries, right? But at the same time, when you play these teams who have physical guards and guys on the wing who are going to push you around and play good defense and jump in passing lanes, force turnovers, create easy buckets for themselves, how is Arizona going to respond? And Arizona can't look soft. I mean, that was a reoccurring theme last year to a lesser degree this year, but I still think it it stands a little bit, is Arizona can't look, look soft in these situations. And when they play these better teams in the tournament, you know, you look at the second half, what ASU did in the first five minutes, you're playing a team that is, you know, a Houston, a UConn, et cetera. You could be out of the game at that point. You just could. Well, there are certain times in life when you just don't want to look soft. And the NCAA tournament is one of those times right there. I mean, so again, I, I would agree with you on that one. But uh, yeah, Brian, what do you got? I also consider about the timeout and, and the, you know, I know someone mentioned, I wasn't sure if it was someone on the show or someone on the uh, side there that looked like ASU was tiring themselves out. At one point, Arizona had an 18 point lead. It's really hard to not only erase, but overcome an 18 point lead without three point shooting. And ASU couldn't shoot threes. Um, so part of me wonders if Lloyd just knew we weather the storm, even if they get it within four or six, because at some point you got to start knocking down threes to erase that big a lead. Um, and ASU is just not physically capable. Uh, that said, we also have to look big picture at this game. Arizona won by nine on the road. If mm-hmm. we had all said for this, Arizona's going to win a nine. We're looking at it through the prism of, Arizona blew an 18-point lead or came close to blowing an 18-point, 16-point lead at the half. Um, but at the end of the day, still won by nine on the road while not playing particularly well against a team that's probably going to finish top five in the Pac-12. So at the end of the day, it's a good win. Are there concerns? Absolutely. And that's our job doing this show. 
uh, to point out those concerns. But at the end of the day, it's still a pretty good win. And, you know, I still you look at it. I still think there are three teams who are athletic enough to beat Arizona without Arizona just laying an egg in the Pac-12. And one of them, in the case of Oregon, isn't very good right now. Uh, so I think, again, if we're looking at it through the the, the, the big picture, Arizona's in really good shape to probably be there right at the end with UCLA competing for a two or th- well, one, two or three seed. Uh, and, and coming away with that today is, is important. Are there concerns? Absolutely. Arizona's a weird team that their totality is really good and good enough to beat anybody. But again, like we've mentioned off and on, they lack a superstar. And Tubelis is a superstar, but he's a big man superstar, which is really hard to, you know, in crunch time, make sure he gets the ball where he can score. Cause he's not going to, you know, we're very rarely going to take it on the perimeter and drive and, and make things happen. So I think Arizona is a fascinating team from that situation. But then we're also looking at a team that is also a one loss team heading into the new year and looks like, you know, they, they should along with UCLA be the favorites to win this league. And that's, I think an important thing to, to remember. All right. He's John Schuster. That is William Brad Alice. Ben White coming to us uh, from uh, California, as always. Really appreciate all of you. The comments, you guys, again, everybody out there, you guys are all the ones that make the show. Appreciate Shoe, Brad, and Ben for hopping in here. We will be back with you later in the week. You have been listening to the AZ Wildcats postgame show.